It's Thursday, February 20th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 537 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 50 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. I'm Laura. And this is Dale. And there's no Chad. Woohoo! I am the new Chad. That is a <laughs> lot of belligerence to live up to. That's Are you true. Sure that you're prepared I, for this. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not. But you know what? I will give it my best effort. I don't have the glorious beard though, so neither does he. He just cut it all. <laughs> I, well, that's it. True. Apparently, got something got wrong with it, so he just like trimmed it way back. There's like barely any beard. Like my five o'clock shadow right now is about the same as his beard. <laughs> So well, okay, that's not too much to so live up the to. The important then. thing is to be very loud and very controversial. Yes. So and, years and ago, have... Dan did a poll on the Fear the Boot forums <laughs> of who is your favorite host and who is your least favorite host, and Chad won both. That does not surprise me, actually. Chad is wonderful, but he's kind of an. Ass. <laughs> <laughs> and also, love you, Chad. <laughs> you pay no attention to Charlie whatsoever, you know, because that's what he does. He never pays does Charlie. He the Charlie. Dog. He yeah, does. he doesn't like animals. Chad, I'm so disappointed yeah, in he you. He really profoundly does not like animals for some reason. I, I don't know why that is exactly. I mean, I mean, okay, there is a history with him and dogs. And actually, I have a similar history, but I kind of got past it. When we were growing up, all of the dogs that he and I were both exposed to, mm-hmm. they were all maladjusted, aggressive, um, neglected. You saw a dog. You knew you were in for a problem. And so he and I both in our childhood and teen years had a lot of hatred for dogs. But I guess the difference is somewhere in my 20s, I got my own dog and kind of got past that and started to see the problem wasn't the kids. The problem was the parents. Yeah. And I don't know that he ever quite made that jump mentally. That's very interesting. So I didn't did not know that about you, Dan, because I used to have a fear of dogs. I love dogs. As a baby... The big dog in the house used to knock my crib over and bite me on the lip. Oh. So my family wow. had to find a new home for the well, dog. Yeah. Then the neighborhood dog would chase me around. And now I look at it and I know the dog wanted to play. Right. But this is a big dog and right. I'm a little kid All running you see from is it excited <laughs> and chasing you. So it wasn't until I had my first dog that we brought in and I got to know that I started to develop my love of animals. My youngest was terrified of dogs for a while because we lived by people who had a big dog and she was the sweetest dog ever, but she would get excited when she would see my kids out playing and would run over and Olivia was maybe two and she would just bowl her over and so any Wait. dog anywhere and and no, she would just turn was the tears not on. players. I wish it had been rough players. No, these were outright aggressive animals. Yeah. If they caught you, they would bite you. And I don't mean play bite. I mean bite bite. Yikes. It, it got so bad. And this is, I'm not proud of this, but I'm just being honest, that there was one dog that was so aggressive and the owners never kept it under control. They never kept it on a lead or a leash. Mm-hmm. They never kept it inside. They just dumped the thing outside, and it developed its own sense of territory and was aggressively protective of it. So you'd be walking down the street, and this dog would just attack you. I was driving my parents' like really old Suburban, and this is before these were like SUVs that you were meant to own. These were like transporting people to construction site type vehicles. These were these. The front and back end each had separate zip codes. And (laughs) I saw this dog, and 
draw your own conclusions. It did not happen. It got out of the way, but I didn't feel a whole lot of guilt about it. So, I mean, this dog, it was a menace. It was a serious menace. Yeah. But that was the background both of us had was constantly being attacked by dogs. Once again, not rough players yeah, attacked actual... by these animals. And then just at some point, like I said, it, when I was a young adult, I picked one up and it radically changed my outlook on the animals. But I think it also helped that I always was around animals, that even though I had problems with dogs, we had hamsters, I had a ferret, I had cats that I'm were around. I'm judging you for your ferret. You can judge all you want. My <laughs> ferret was awesome. I'm but, Chad. I have to be judgy. It's fine. But he he was really never around animals. Like, he had a couple fish at one point. But I mean, let's be honest. Fish, yes, they're taxonomically That's, animals, but they're not. Yeah, they don't count. They're yeah, pets. it's not like they run around the house no. and you can pet them and things like that. You can't? Well, I mean, for maybe about 30 seconds. <laughs> you to, can try. Somewhere, a couple minutes you can. But yeah, one of the most out around of my hand, you know, that's it's not enjoying that. <laughs> oh, it's totally enjoying that. Just just keep going. Don't one of the most the out of character I ever saw Chad was he had a pet frog at one of the places we worked together. Huh. And it what? was he really loved his frog. That's adorable. Yeah. it's And it was so out of character because he is not an animal person. But for some reason, he picked up a frog and he had a frog on his desk. Yeah, and, but it's always these non-social animals. Like, yeah. He's yes. like weirdly okay with like snakes too. Um, I love snakes, but with a couple exceptions because there are some social breeds of snakes. Most breeds of snakes are not social right. creatures; they just sort of do their thing and you do your thing. Chad and, likes to be a loner. Yeah, and these things don't require interaction. They don't socialize with you. You cannot have a cat or a ferret or a prairie dog or any of these things and just ignore it. It, it will become <laughs> maladjusted. I had a pet prairie dog. <laughs> They were. It was awesome. <laughs> Chuckita. She was outstanding, and it would always weird people out. Outstanding in a prairie. <laughs> and well, we actually at one point almost got a wallaby. There are people in what this area are you, man? that sell like, wallabies, and we, uh, we were going to buy a wallaby. I right. I, I was going to tell no one too because I wanted people to come over. And out of nowhere, this little miniature kangaroo comes hopping out. And I wanted to get the raw takes. No warning. Total hot take on this. And we were just going to have it there. And we had to back out last minute because we realized they're super high strung. Yeah. And they can actually, like rabbits, if they get too frightened, they can get a heart attack and die. Oh, jeez. Oh, I'm serious. He and also wants either, was it a seal or a sea lion? An otter. An otter. I want an otter. I love otters so much. Not a totally not not a sea otter otter, because sea otters are kind of dicks. But I want an I want a a, a river otter because they're really cool. But they are really cool. The reason we didn't get the wallaby is because since they're that high strung, and we backed up to woods, there were coyotes back there. And if the coyote runs up to its enclosure, it can literally kill it just through fear. Right. Unless you have a multi-layered fence. So you have like an outer fence and then like three to six feet and then an inner fence. And we just didn't have the The lawn space space to do that. Okay, Laura, I know what you need to run at Fear the Con now. You need to run a game set in Dan's house (laughs) where the players are a wallaby, a prairie dog, a A ferret, a ferret, a dog, a a cat, dogs, cats. Yeah. Oh, you are Dan's pets. Well, and I can tell you what we can do is two ways. You can either tell me to list pets I've actually owned, or I can tell you that if all things were equal, these are the pets I would own. And it's going to be I'm like so an otter and this. a lion and you know all these wondrous things. 
but I can also give you weird pets I have actually owned. I mean, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. You guys should... I don't know where I'm going to take that, but... Uh, you guys listening to this should really see how Laura's face is <laughs> lit up. Oh I'm God. really excited about this now. So, speaking of Fear the Con, a couple things. First of all, I think I just realized for the first time we've actually never put the link to the con in the show notes. Whoops. Shame. Uh, well, well, I also realized today that the link that I had on Con Planner for the motel book room block was wrong yeah so we're doing a so great that was job. fixed today oh, so oopsie. now that we have straightened out our uh, <laughs> they're getting their act together poop parade gonna whip them into shape. i will put a link in the show notes to the upcoming fear of the con once again june 18th for the wing night 19th and 20th for the con itself we will be doing pre-con tourism and I'm going to start putting my games out there, trickling some of them out. So if you have not already, get out to Con Planner, start signing up, because games are going to start going up. Did you say Con Platter? Con, con Planner. Planner. He said it right. Just yes. making sure, because it, it kind of sounded like Con Platter. Did you know that... Is there an otter in your ears? Adam did not know that there is a wing night for Fear the Con. I mentioned it offhandedly to him, and he, it blew his mind. He had no idea... And well, it's a social mixer that we call Wing Night. Well, yeah. But we didn't hit the amount to... Right, to cater to it. To cater it. Yeah. Though we are still looking to see if... Is there options we can Yeah, we might. That. No promises. We might look to see if there's an option where we can. But also, if you back at the Kickstarter at a level that gets you a guaranteed slot in any of these games, we're going to be contacting you through Kickstarter soon to find out your attendee name on con planner so i can automatically sign you up for the games that you are entitled to so be watching for that and if you haven't even if you're on the kickstarter you're guaranteed that slot but please do me a favor and create an attendee on con planner check the show note for links because i will be hitting you up to make sure i forcibly add you to the games that you are owed (laughs) so yep there are Quite a few games already out there. Some of them are filling up already. Some slots really need GMs. So it's time for my annual call to GMs to get some games put out there. So we start filling it up. Yeah, apparently slot five is one of the ones kind of hurting. And I would help you, (laughs) except the game I'm committed to run through Kickstarter is in slot five. Slot six is another one, but I'm already running a game (laughs) slot six because that's, I think, the one that was my kickstarter i'm gonna be well i'm gonna be putting another game up in slot five to wayne's point if i can gm two games that fear the con what's your excuse so (laughs) she's a girl i mean so i'm a girl i can't do this i'm still all up in arms over that it's fine it's fine anyway all right. Dale looks so confused because he wasn't here last time, and the episode I, has a drop. It'll, it's gonna, I'm not asking any questions. The episode that explains that is about to drop. You can hear me go on a rant yeah. for like a good several minutes. Whether it's, it's tonight fine. or tomorrow, per recording schedule, not release schedule, I'll be dropping the episode so, Dale, you can catch up. The too long didn't listen version is that a co-worker told her she's only the boobs on the show. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes! Dale looks so horrified right now. Thank you. We were horrified when we heard the story. Yeah. Both times, because I told it at the restaurant last week and then retold it on the mics, and you can imagine my intense displeasure. Yeah. So, anyway. We don't need to rehash. It's fine. Yeah, it was on the prior episode, and then there was a fully unedited version of it 
on Patreon. So if you're a Patreon backer, get the Raws, you will get some added <laughs> content on that that we had to cut for the main release. But speaking of yep. Patreon, Wayne's taken on a project I greatly appreciate and has, quite frankly, desperately needed to be done for a while now. So take it away, Wayne. Yep. I've done a lot of research out there for what people want from the Patreon. I've talked to a lot of the listeners. I've seen what other you know what other podcasts do for Patreons. And we are going to be revamping ours a bit coming in March. Uh, from that, we're going to add a couple levels. There's been a request for a $3 level, something between the 1 and the 5. So we're going to introduce a $3 level. Uh, we're going to introduce a level slightly higher. Some of the things that we're talking about adding into it. There is a mini podcast that I already have five episodes of recorded that is a glimpse into my mind as IGM. And particularly, this is not an advice show. This is all of the things that I think GMs think about because they're what I think about, but they don't really talk about. Insecurities, how things didn't go like I planned, how I put together my game notes, and I'll be sharing my actual game notes and anything that I make for the game that I'm running in there. Calling it Fear the Boot Game Notes, and it may eventually have some of the other hosts jumping in and recording episodes here or there as they you know run games as well. But that's one of the things that we're looking at doing. We're looking at tying our Discord server into Patreon, so we'll have some private channels in there, more interaction. That's the one thing I keep hearing is that people that back Patreons, they want the access to the content creators, and they want behind the scenes. So that's what we're looking to do more announcements as it kind of gets closer to time, but we're looking at beginning of March to launch. Yeah. So you're saying that uh, you're going to let us inside Wayne's head. Is that what, yes. what this is? Yes. So why don't we call it inside Wayne's head? We're going to have a live I... stream of neural surgery <laughs> on Wayne. So to answer your question, Dale, I specifically did not put my name in it because I want the option of other people jumping in here and there because if i'm not the one actively running the campaign maybe dan wants to record something maybe i can get chad to record something so for now maybe the tits can record something yeah if you're running something yeah so if we just want the sound of motorboating or (laughs) or shopping or something then maybe we'll let you in there for now the pod the mini podcast 15 to 30 minutes per episode is just me but i wanted to leave the name generic enough that if there's interest from other hosts maybe we can get chris hussey to record some stuff Uh you know you haven't heard his voice in quite a while yeah so patreon.com slash fear the boot if you want to support us out there we greatly appreciate it We are preparing to do a round of hardware upgrades to the recording stuff, primarily centered on the actual play, because I'm going to be brutally honest, our actual play is way below the regular show in terms of its quality. So we are going to be upgrading that stuff. And I want to thank you guys, because in addition to that, you are also keeping Aisha on contract as our editor. And speaking of the actual play, I want to apologize for Chad sharpening a pencil right next to the mics. (laughs) He didn't know that these mics were on, and we've gotten quite a bit of feedback about the uh, (laughs) the sound of that. Yes, and so, yeah. We're, we're We're going to rework the AP. We have a lot of ideas. This is the first one we did. And quite frankly, it's been a great game. 
but the production quality has been pretty sorely lacking. We've got several ideas of how we're going to be upgrading that in the coming months as well. Can you upgrade to mechanical pencils? Well, even if we don't upgrade to mechanical pencils, the recording setup is going to be single mic, so no more table side omni. It's going everyone's going to have their own mic, which is going to drastically increase sound quality and everything will be in there. Because what happened was he came into... James pointing to an entirely different room. Yeah. He walked out of the <laughs> room where we do the AP into the main studio to sharpen his pencil. Oh, and didn't realize the and studio And didn't realize the studio were mics yep. were all hot. Oh. None of us knew that. The studio mics are about to become the AP mics once I do a little rewiring and buy some additional mics to make that possible. So, and, But to answer your question about that, over half the table uses mechanical pencils. Chad wants a real pencil. Because Chad is Chad. Yes. Yes. And we know how he is. The same thing in our Saturday <laughs> game. If you'll notice, I've got a mechanical pencil. I know uh, you're using mechanical. I use mechanical Chad pencils. uses real pencil. I had an idea I want to talk about for a banter topic. All right. I was on the Gaming with Gage Discord, and we got to talking about games that people were willing to run versus play. Because everyone that knows Gage knows he is the Savage Worlds fanboy. But he actually plays a lot of different games. He chooses to run only Savage Worlds because it's the system that he's most comfortable with. It's the system that can do anything that he wants to do. He is a very, he's willing to acknowledge that there are other systems that can do certain things better. Wow. But <laughs> if he's comfortable with one system, he doesn't want to have to relearn a new system to run it. He doesn't want to have to reteach. Sure. It's the the path of least resistance. Right. So that kind of got me thinking as we, as we were talking about it. Are there games that you like playing that you wouldn't want to run? Are there games that you run that you wouldn't want to play? Because I have never played in a Dresden file game. I've only run it, and I've run it a lot. Is that intentional, or is that just... No one's offered to run one, so I would play in one. But there are games that I would play in that I wouldn't want to run. I don't want to run Battletech. I have no problem playing a Battletech game, but there's a lot of math and a lot of things to know, and that's not what I want to worry about when I'm running a game. I'm kind of on the flip side of that, where I think I would play Battletech under just about anyone... But if you add on Battletech with its RPG of MechWarrior, I'd be real picky about my GMs because not only do you have to know the setting, but you have to get the setting. In fact, I think you have to get the setting more than you know the setting. That if you don't understand how it's supposed to feel and how it's supposed to look, it doesn't matter how many proper nouns and dates you've memorized. You can't convey it well. And there's only a handful of people that I really think get that setting in a way where I would say, yeah, you're probably going to run a good MechWarrior game. So that's one that I definitely prefer to run over play. Another one for me, Blades in the Dark. I like playing it. I don't want to ever run it. That's not how I GM. I not only wouldn't feel comfortable running it, it's not one that excites me to run, but I like playing it. That's interesting. I could see that. I well, and Chad and I had talked because Chad really wants to play Blades in the Dark, um, and I had volunteered essentially to run a Blades in the Dark campaign at some point in the future. Going back to my lack of experience, like there are not a whole lot of games that I would actually run because I'm not familiar enough to do it comfortably. But I'll play pretty much anything at least once. I don't think I could run Dresden. For the same reason that I wouldn't feel comfortable with most people running MechWarrior, I don't feel like I get it. Like, I know it, but I don't feel like I get it. It's a brand of urban fantasy that just doesn't click in my head. 
I guess to me, urban fantasy is always supposed to be a lot more dark and a lot less whimsical. I, I don't know. That's just how I'm programmed. Shadow Run, World of Darkness, those I would feel fairly comfortable running. I don't know that I'm comfortable playing World of Darkness, but I'll talk about that one in a minute. <laughs> but in terms of running, I would feel okay with most dark urban fantasy, but one that's a little bit more whimsical, a little bit more campy. Yeah, campy, campy. whatever. I could probably fairy tale feeling. I'd struggle with that a bit. Because to me, urban fantasy is like rides the edge of horror. How about you, Dale? I've been thinking about this whole time, and I'm like, I don't know. I started running a number of games simply because I couldn't find a group to to play in it. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm running this. I, yeah, I wouldn't run Blades in the Dark. It's a fun play, but it definitely isn't the way I think. Yep, that's exactly my problem with it. I love playing it, but I don't think the way you need to think to GM it. I got one. Misspent Youth. I played in a game of that, and I had fun with it, but... I didn't have a youth where it was just like, hey, I'm just going to get into trouble just because. So I don't think in that way. That's just not a game where I would, I'll run a game of that. Yeah, Blades in the Dark is a lot of, you're planning scores, you're doing Mm -hmm. big rolls for that, you're doing clocks. Most rolls are going to be some level of of something badness (laughs) happening. It's just not how I think when I GM. There is plenty of room for just flying off the cuff and right. running things without uh, a lot of pre-prep for it. and But it doesn't flow like IGM. There's too much of a game-style structure to all of the ones I've played in, at least, mm-hmm. that it doesn't click in my head, and I don't know why. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a game that's a mashup of Victorian street crime and a genre that is starting to emerge called you know, Dark London or whatever. Right. Where it's not quite Lovecraftian, but it certainly has those dark, mythical horror overtures to right. it. Yeah, yeah. It's just a setting I can't see myself writing something for. Exactly. Yeah, well, because you have to get both of those. I think it's, it's two settings you have to get, or two genres you have to get. If I split this in video game terms, I mean, the video games that, from what I've observed... Chad seems to be drawing from most is first and foremost Dishonored. Yeah, because that's what the game's based on. And then secondly is Payday, which is, you know, covers the whole thing about the organized crime. And because his uh, Dishonored thing, that's not really about crime per se. That's much more about revolution and intrigue and such. It's not about street level we're going to set up a heist or set up a hit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas that is what payday is about. We have the whole dark London or fallen London sort of thing. I mean, like, so that's its own subgenre of Victorian horror that you have to grok to even spin the world. And then within that, now you've got to set, okay, we're a street gang in that gangs of New York sort of vein and we're running protection rackets or murder rackets or whatever it is, you know, with this late 1800s or early 1900s sort of crime. And I'm with you. I don't know that I could quite run it. I think I could come closer just because I'm a little bit closer to the source material he's been drawing from. Right. Because I haven't played either of those games. But I don't know that it's quite within my wheelhouse either. Horror is really hard for me to run. As is uh, anything that requires constant energy, like monsters and other childish things. The monsters part, I could probably do. It's the and other childish things. I can't keep that energy up. 
Actually, Call of Cthulhu for me would be one I'd never run because I've played in a Call of Cthulhu game. You know, it's nice. It's fun. But my brain just doesn't go there instinctively. The only time I've ever written anything Cthulhu-related in my life is whenever my brain goes to a really, really dark place. I don't go there for fun. I write Cthulhu poetry to get myself out of it. I, hmm. I write it to get it hmm. out of me, not to keep it in. Yeah, I like playing Call of Cthulhu games, but I don't know that I could run one either. I can come up with some really disturbing things, and if I want to, I can paint a disturbing scene, but I can't continue that yeah that can be a scene you run into personally without going to a dark place myself i can't run a campaign or a series of games that have that feel continuing that's why i'm not sure i could actually with call of cthulhu or any of the lovecraftian stuff i'm not sure that i could run it or play in it because of the fact that i neither like being victimized nor like victimizing other people <laughs> And, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. supposed to be the Lovecraftian formula, is you either lose or best outcome is you win, but at such great cost that you might have saved a world that will live in its ignorance and unawares, but you have destroyed yourself. And I can't run that type of game. For me, I always want genuine victory. Now, there could be yeah. a lot of... Mm. You're the underdog, it's unlikely, right. blah, blah, blah. But the idea that this is the intended formula, not a possible outcome, but the intended formula is either A, failure, or B, success accompanied by ruination. I just can't run that. Well, and that's why I'm able to do a really disturbing scene. Sure. Because that scene is then leading to victory over what just yeah. got experienced. That's the difference to me between something like Lovecraft and Hunter's Hunted. Is in mm -hmm. Hunter's Hunted... The idea that I can kill the, the vampire, and sure, it affects me because it would affect anybody, but it doesn't have to leave my life in shambles, you know, with me in an insane asylum. It's not quite such a pyrrhic victory. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. could have a genuine victory. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to have a purely pyrrhic victory. You can take gun and God and burn the vampire down and walk away in Van Helsing fashion where, yeah, it's affected you, mm -hmm. but it hasn't ruined you. Yeah, I remember a scene I did, and it was a couple campaigns ago, where I didn't realize that two of my players had serious fighter phobias. And <laughs> right here, right here, this, this will be number three, so don't get any ideas. I got into detail, and I had <sighs> not disturbed characters, I had some seriously disturbed players sitting at the table, oh, and I felt bad about it later because I didn't realize I was hitting that. So I keep that in mind going forward. I had two fairly disturbing scenes, maybe even more in this last game session I did, but I was carefully thinking about mm -hmm. it and stopping myself from describing too much. I made sure you guys knew the actions, and the actions were disturbing. Yeah. But I didn't describe those actions. No, I thought you did really well keeping the balance. Yeah, yeah. it was good. It was. So it I've was learned Dale from who that. took it to a dark, yeah. dark place. I learned from the lessons of truly yeah. disturbing the players <laughs> at the table in a previous campaign. So now I think about that when I set up those scenes. But again, those scenes lead to then a victory because of what just got seen. Yeah, I couldn't not have that victory. I need the good guys to win. That's yeah. one thing I can't imagine running a campaign 
where the end of the campaign ends in a failure for the party. Because that not only would be disappointing for the party, that's going to be disappointing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I don't think I could do like a Call of Cthulhu campaign. Yeah. Because yeah. that is something that is that happens. Even World of Darkness, I know that's something that happens regularly is a not happy ending. Yeah. I like happy yeah. endings. Well, I don't necessarily need a happy ending, but I do feel I at least need to, one, understand how we got here, and two, to be able to identify the choices I made that got us there. And my yeah. problem with Lovecraftian horror is most people, I'm not going to say everyone, but most people that run Lovecraftian horror, they come in with this deterministic view that this is how it has to go mm-hmm. to the point that... If we end up with either failure or Pyrrhic victory, I'm probably not going to be able to point to my own choices and say, well, we got here because I shouldn't have done this and I shouldn't right. have done that. And I, it's going to be because, well, that's that's how this goes. And I don't like that degree of determinism. And so I don't think I could either run it or play in it very happily more than maybe a one shot because it would just bother the hell out of me to know that either I got railroaded in concept, even if not in specific actions, but at least in genre, I was railroaded or I did the railroading. There's a difference, though, between a happy ending and a satisfactory ending. Yes. yes. So not not all games are going to be happy and have happy endings, but does it make sense? Do I know how I got here? Am I okay with the closure that I have mm-hmm. in, in this given role? Yeah, there was a Robotech video game. I forget the name of it, but... Robotech? <laughs> no, it wasn't a, ro- a tabletop. It was a video game. And you played during the Zentradi Wars. It actually took place, I think, after the Zentradi War when they were in the Reconstruction. And you're fighting Zentradi rogue elements or something like that. And at the end of the video game, now it's not an option-driven game. It's You just play the missions. Mm-hmm. But the character makes a choice that there's this one guy that is way out of control and, and blah, blah, blah. And as best I remember the plot, he sets off one of the space fold drives and folds himself, the main villain, and a chunk of the ground out past Pluto. And has then a final death battle with this guy. But he has stranded them both so far away that the outcome of the fight doesn't matter. They're both going to die because they simply, in their ships they have, cannot make it back in this lifetime Mm -hmm. from beyond Pluto's orbit back to Earth. And he effectively commits suicide. And it's a very sad ending. Even if you win that fight, you still die. But... It was satisfactory. It made sense to the character. Mm -hmm. The characters sacrificing themselves to stop the bad guy? Yeah. That's not a... I didn't... It can be sad, but it's not a sad ending to me. Yes, I didn't choose the ending because it's not that kind of video game, but I understood why the character did. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the character had other options. It wasn't like, well, this is just how a Robotech story goes. You either lose or you spend the rest of your life flapping your lips yep. in a nut farm. You know, it was it was in comparison like that. with Fallout Three, which I'm going to spoil the original ending if you <sighs> haven't played it. Fallout Three's original ending, you get to the end and there's a room of radiation. Yeah. Which you're going to go sacrifice yourself with. But companion options, you can have a super mutant that's radiation, radiation immune. immune. 
You can have a ghoul that gets better with radiation and heals. You can have a robot that's immune. You can't ask any of them to go in and do this oh, for you. You could even go in yourself, and I pop so much... For those not familiar with Fallout, there are two drugs in the game. Rad-X, which I guess is like iodine or something. It makes you immune to the effects of radiation temporarily. And there's Rad-Away, which actually bonds to the isotopes and flushes them from yeah. your system. One of them is and, an addictive drug, but the other one is safe. Well, I had both of them in such massive supply that I went into the room, flipped the switch, ending the hazard, and shutting off the radiation leak. And lived, I think I timed it off a clock, for about three and a half minutes but was unable to simply walk out of the room in three and a half minutes while the NPCs just stood around and watched me die. Well, and the other thing and they had run out of dialogue. They were past all their, oh, it sucks, he's going to die, we loved you. That dialogue had all run its course, and they're just standing there like store mannequins. <laughs> watching you die. Yeah, watching the clock run down. I'm like, hello, open the door, I'm yeah. fine. The other thing that made it really unsatisfactory uh, is... You can actually ask the, your super mutant companion to go in for you. And he says, no, this is your time. Yeah, what, what does that what even mean? That thing? So the ghoul says, yeah, the ghoul says the same thing to you. He says, this is your destiny or this is your fate. And it's like, what? Why? So by the That's... time I played the game, they Whoever already released that, an expansion. That's stupid. It was really stupid. Yeah. They, they, they had to release an expansion yeah. to undo the ending. Yeah. It was and so bad. Is, the expansion Ugh. actually... You can ask them that, and they'll start off with, well, normally I would say it's your time, okay. but you've done a lot for me, so I'll go do yeah. this for you. And if you still choose to you do it better. yourself, you don't die. You you can survive it, and you have problems, but you can survive it. <sighs> yeah, so that is a case of I would be that is such incredibly unsatisfied because you have solutions to do what you need to do and not die and you're railroaded into death. So a game I would love to play, but I don't think that I can run, for the same reason I'm on the flip side with Battletech, superheroes or supervillains, I would want somebody like Wayne to run that because I feel like Wayne gets the genre and its many subgenres. Yes, because every superhero game I've run has been a different subgenre. Yeah, because there's a big genre difference between Golden Age, Silver Age... What was in the '90s? The cape stuff versus the non-cape yep. stuff. No capes and no capes. I don't feel like I get what makes a comic book work at the structural level mm -hmm. well enough to run it. Now I feel like I understand yeah, I individual characters enough right. to play it. I still want to play Necessary Evil using the Injustice Gods Among Us setting and play Mister Freeze. I also do have a superhero idea for a different campaign, but I'd want somebody like Wayne to run it. I don't think I could run it well. I think for me, it would become an unintentional parody and a not very funny parody because it'd just be me running off of stereotypes and archetypes yeah. that I don't get. Well, this this would be like in the 90s when they had all those comic book movies being made by people that didn't know the comic books and none yeah. of them worked. None of them were good. Yeah, I think sometimes it's good to step out of your comfort or area. Michael Bay and, making Transformers. Oh. Sometimes it's good to step out of your comfort area and do something that you normally say you wouldn't run. Mm -hmm. So one example of that for me was Chad made a comment that nobody has ever run one of his games for him. And I wasn't comfortable running one of Chad's games for Chad. These are the ones that he's written that are out there for free on his Morning yeah. Sky website. Yeah. So I ran one for him. 
because I wasn't comfortable doing it and I wanted to challenge myself for it. And I had played a really good one that Adam Gottfried had run at a fear mm-hmm. of the con that Dan was in too. So I based it off of Adam's game and I ran it for Chad. Since then I've run, you know, the same game with a completely different, I created everything from scratch myself, but I wasn't comfortable because it was his game and he wrote it. Just like I always said, I wouldn't be comfortable running a skies of glass game for Dan. I would do that now. Because I've stepped out of that comfort zone and I've run a game for someone who wrote that game. So now I'm comfortable trying that, knowing that the person that wrote it is willing to overlook if I get something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can at least say in my defense with many of the things I'm describing, not all of them, but with many of them, I have attempted and it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. And in the deconstruction, I realized it didn't go well because I'm just not built for it. And superheroes is one of them. I've run games at least using Phase Rip, the old Marvel system. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact I ran some of those. I've probably run other ones I don't remember. And it just didn't go well. And the reason it didn't go well was, I mean, apart from the generic, you're a good guy, here's a bad guy robbing a bank. I mean, once again, all the pieces are there. I, w- I was hitting the check boxes, but it wasn't a good game. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't deep. It, it just wasn't all cylinders firing. And so I did try it and I tried it and I found out I didn't like it and I wasn't good at it. And I like that system, by the way. Oh, it's a I've, great system. I every, love it. So I've talked about every superhero game I've run. It's been a different genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every superhero game I've run has been a different system. Yeah, I like Phaser. Phaser, but I, I don't know if it's still, I'm sure it is still around in scribd form, but whether it's still around or not, yeah, Phaser was a great system. Yeah, I ran, this was at one of the Fear of the Cons, it was a Exiles game. Exiles is a Marvel comic book that takes alternate reality characters, and their world doesn't exist anymore, so now they're trying to fix things in the multiverse so their world can come back. So every character was an alternate reality version of the character that I wrote an entirely new backstory for and gave them to the players with some secrets. The first thing I did when they're all pulled out of their universe, the person that gives them their mission is Spider-Ham. So, Wayne, here's one that would be fun. I'd love to see you run. And I'm going to pitch this out here. This is a game idea for anyone that's listening. There was a concept that DC toyed with before they backed away from it, which, and they, they did this in a couple different uh, of their shows and movies. It came up in the one where Batman was facing the ultimate Batman that was voiced by James Woods, where they posit that at the center of the multiverse, so you have Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth, you know, whatever. Right. But at the center of all of that is an Earth 0, which is our reality. Not not their reality, not yep. Batman, Superman, not the main, because the main DC continuity is Earth One, but that there's an Earth Zero that if you Where look. Where DC comics exist and they print these books. Yes. And that this is the reality that if you were to see how our reality. When they it, called it Earth Prime. Yeah, Earth Prime, Earth Zero. But when a choice comes up and the choices diverge and a new Earth or a new reality gets shed off, you know, like quantum mm-hmm. physics sort of thing, right. and they diverge, that the one that stays on that center path, this is the reality for which all other realities foam up, is our reality. So a reality where Krypton could exist and Superman could come to Earth, these are things that didn't occur in our universe. Mm-hmm. And our stories 
represent sort of a subconscious or Jungian distillation of these possible stories that could be in other realities. It's a cart and horse thing of do, does our imagination create the realities or does our imagination reflect the realities? Mm-hmm. You know, how does that work? And I would love to see a game like run by Wayne where we're all playing superheroes, supervillains, whatever, and we get moved from Earth Zero to Earth One, and Wayne decides what our superpowers are. Like, he makes a character sheet for us. Like, as a group, we make a character sheet for Dan as Dan. We all agree Mm -hmm. that this is what my stats should be. Point by, so it's fair. Whatever. So here's Dan, here's Dale, here's Laura, here's whomever. But when we go to that universe, Wayne gets to decide, well, I think Dale is going to be this, whatever this may be, he's going to be a radiation blaster. And here's why I think that. And he's got a separate sheet for as Dale starts having his, you know, X-Men moment Mm -hmm. and realizing for the first time that his angry outburst can annihilate someone that, you know, he starts revealing that other character sheet. I love this idea, and it does tie into a lot of stories that that I've read. You you see, what I'd make (laughs) for you, what I'd say you have, Charlie. That's your superpower. Charlie? Charlie (laughs) is your superpower. I would go with that or like some kind of, if I was to guess for myself, some kind of mentalist. If it wasn't shapeshifting, be some kind of like mentalist, but I don't know. See, I, I have to leave this. I can't, and I don't want to taint the Wayne. <laughs> I don't want to taint Wayne's taint. So, well, I've, wow. I've, already said, I've already said you get the second Green Lantern ring, I get. Right. And, and I get the first non evil symbiote, symbiote that I get. You yeah. get. So that's, so okay, that's so, got to work into it. So, so Wayne's a lantern, and I get a symbiote. Because, see, I could totally do that. A second voice in my head would not bother me. These if we two are about nerding eight, out I'm going to commit so myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy cow. But, yeah, I would totally, totally. If, like, Toxin came up to me and I knew it was Toxin, well, even Carnage, I'd win the battle of wills. <laughs> so, but, yeah, there'd be some threats like Outburst. But, ultimately, he'd give up and he'd give in to me. I'd sex him up with my voice, and he'd be like, you know, I, think you're, I think you're right. We, this Jesus guy's got something going for him. And, and <laughs> Suddenly, Carnage would have that moment. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> you lost me about two minutes ago. It's Do fine. you need me to whiteboard it? Yes. Okay. Well, we all well, know because we'd have to cannibalize Broder's whiteboard, and God knows we need that. Oh, boy. That's a game I'd love to play, but I just can't run it. How close are we to a bonus episode at this point? <laughs> oh, I don't think we are at all. I think this is regular episode content. of Because right. you know what? I, yeah, look, here's fine. There are two truths at work. If I was going to give a punchline to this show, it's that there are two truths at work. And this is how most aphorisms or pithy little sayings or whatever you want to call them work. You know, we understand their poetic comments that are made within a context. And here's the two of them. One is practice makes perfect, but the contradicting or paradoxical one is poets are born, not made. And I think Mm -hmm. both are true. That there are a lot of things in gaming where through feedback and practice and facing your fears and studying stuff, you can get better. But there are other things where I think either one, it's a hobby, maybe it's not worth it. Or two, even if it is worth it, we're all wired a certain way. And I am never going to be as good at running a superhero game as Wayne is. I could study it. I could get better. But I'm never, ever going to be where Wayne is at. Now, I separate this from something like people who say, well, I can't GM anything. 
Well, that is such a... That's a lie. Yeah, yeah that is a mild wide brush you're painting with. If I can do it, anyone can do you it. Can, if I can exactly. do it, anyone can You do can it. run something. Now, I don't necessarily think you can run everything, or if you can, you're going to run some things better than others. Mm-hmm. I run good post-apoc. I run good sci-fi. I run good battle tech. I don't run good superhero. And I think it's okay, on the one hand, to say, yes... People ought to have some courage and try some things and push their comfort zones, practice, accept constructive criticism, the mm-hmm. usual advice we give. Right. But the advice we don't normally give, but I think is equally true, is it's fine to accept your limitations, to say that this just isn't how I'm wired. Yeah, the now, phrase I would say is know yourself and challenge yourself. If yes, you've challenged sure. yourself, yes. you know yourself better. Yeah. Now, yeah. you see, I come along with all corollary is... It, maybe you're just not a good GM on the fly. You might be a good GM if you actually had a module, like a pre-printed module, sure. and you mm-hmm. just ran that. Or maybe you're a good GM, but not for that system. Maybe Ooh, that's another good one. You know, or that setting. I mean, or maybe it's setting. a system. I mean, look, let's take or a group. Maybe you're not feeling the group that you're GMing yeah. for. I've it's... definitely seen that. I've seen people get soured. Like, I can't GM. Why can't you GM? They tell me the story, and I'm like. You realize That's a player problem. probably half the players there need to be sued and the other half should be in jail. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the problem here is not role playing games or use a GM. The yeah. problem is these pack of yahoos need to be shot on a street <laughs> yeah. corner. Right. Going with the know yourself. Yeah. I don't like running modules. I yeah, finally. Some people don't. Look, look. I finally did it when I was running the D&D Adventure Leagues. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I felt constrained. Sure. I. You know, they give you a lot of leeway, and I went way outside, and I got really good feedback on my tables and all, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't what I enjoyed doing. Sure. Right. I don't like having, you're going to go to this point, and this point, and this point. Sure. Mm -hmm. Tell me my business. Exactly. But on the flip side, you know, if I was sitting under somebody who was really nervous, and they said, this is my first game, and I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to work through a module, not only would I politely play along, but... Knowing enough about how modules are written, I would not make wildly unpredictable decisions or difficult to manage character because I believe this person is at the point of they are challenging themselves. They're not on the other side of they ran their best time in the Olympics and they just are biologically capable of better. Right. You know, that's the difference. They tried. They practiced. They showed up. This is somebody who's on the far end of that. They bought their first pair of running shoes. Mm-hmm. Cut them yeah. some slack. Yeah, and I go back to your point earlier about you tried it and it didn't work for you. I have now tried modules. Right. I mm-hmm. know I am fully capable of running a module. I also know that's not going to be my best game. Yeah. The point is so to try it. So I now it. know myself when it comes to modules. Yeah, now, the point you, is to try it. Put the effort out there. Now, you see, I'm the uh, I'm the opposite. I actually do better whenever I have a module. If I've got 90% of the work done right in front of me, then I run a better game. And like to skip back a second to Fear the Cod, the game I'm going to be running, the Fesser Gambit, is I wrote that as a module. It's not currently for sale, but I wrote it. And this for is myself. For this is for travel. Yeah, yes. for no one not following the plot. This is a traveler module. Yes. So I wrote myself a full-on module, and then I ran it for Chad, Wayne, and Don. And Wayne, you tell me what you thought of it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun in it. It was a really good introduction to Traveler. I had played Traveler before, 
but no one else at the table had. And I'd only played it at one con. Sure. And it was a nice, slow introduction to it. There was a lot to do. There was a lot of factions we could have worked with. I felt like we could have thrown you quite a few curveballs and you mm-hmm. would have adapted to it. Sure. I'm but still the, sad that I missed it, by the way. But the sheer fact that I had that basic structure to go with, I had a plan to go with, and then uh, from there, if things changed on the fly, I could change then. But I still had a place to work from, made life that much easier for me. Yeah, I know a lot of people love running from modules. It, like I said, it goes back to know yourself. How do you present your best game? And in my case, I've tried it, and modules isn't my best game. I do better without them. If you know yourself and you know that a module is a good starting point and your best game comes out of it, run a module. But yeah, I I think, though, to reiterate, that's the point of this episode, is that past trying, there is, as you explore yourself and learn yourself, it is okay to realize what you dislike doing and also what you simply aren't skilled at doing. And that's why I consider this regular episode not a bonus is because I think us admitting our own limitations, I hate to use the sort of new agey kind of phrase or pop site kind of phrase, but well, I mean, I want you people at home to give yourself permission to say, I don't like this or I'm not good at it. You know, that's fine. That's the logical outcome of challenging yourself and pushing yourself. For every success we talk about on the mics, we had multiple failures that led to being able to have that success. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So once again, uh, be sure to check the show notes because there's going to be a bunch of links. Fear the Con, uh, the Patreon, probably some other random stuff along the way that I'm forgetting, but it's all going to be in the show notes. So check there for the links. And if you are on the Kickstarter and backed at a level that secured you a game spot, we will be getting in touch to get your attendee name from Fear the Con on Con Planner so I can manually add you to the slots for the games that you are due and if you drop out of them that's up to you but i'm at least going to start you there and you can decide what to do from there so thank you guys for tuning in have a great week and great games and we will catch you next time see ya this has been a production of fear the booth copyright 2020 listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com you can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.